We'll be looking at Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Passage on the Great Commission. I think all of us are very familiar with the passage that we're going to look at this evening. We've probably heard many sermons about it, and there's a lot we can say about the Great Commission. Um, but I'm not going to try to say everything tonight because we would probably be here pretty late. Um, I really want to just look at one particular point about the Great Commission. Um, I think probably all of us, at one point in time or another, have looked at the Great Commission and we've been tempted to view it kind of narrowly, to kind of pick out one point of it and focus in on that and maybe not have as full of pictures we ought to. I know that's been the case for me. Sometimes I've viewed the Great Commission really just in terms of evangelism, right? What's the Great Commission supposed to be about? We're supposed to go out and tell people about Jesus. Is that true? Yes, it is. Absolutely. That's, that's the very first step in the Great Commission. We can't ignore that fact. But it is also true that there's more to the Great Commission than just going and telling and that's what I hope to uh, remind ourselves this evening. While evangelism is part of the Great Commission, it's much more than just that. We've got to remember to have kind of the big picture in mind and not just focus in on just one thing or the other thing. We have to look at all of what it involves. My goal this evening is to look at this passage and draw our attention to the fact that the Great Commission is an ongoing task. And it's got identifiable parts and stages to it. It's not just one thing that we do and then it's done and we move somewhere else and do it again. It's an ongoing process with identifiable parts and stages. Let's look at Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Great Commission here is the mandate for the church. Remember, this is right before Jesus ascends, and he is telling his disciples what the marching orders are for this next period of of history. Um, Israel has um, rejected her Messiah, and so now we've got the church And the church is the center of God's activity in the world. And so to give the church direction about what we're supposed to be doing while we're waiting for Christ to return, Jesus gives us the Great Commission. He says, go, make disciples, baptize, teach. I'm with you always to the end of the age. And then at the end of the age, you'll know it's time because I'm going to come back for you. And that will be the lifespan where the church is operating in this world and fulfilling the task that God has given. Now, the Great Commission has a number of parts to it, right? When we read it, we said going, baptizing, uh, excuse me, going, making disciples, baptizing, and teaching. So we've got at least four pieces of that, and that's kind of where we get the idea that the Great Commission involves more than just one thing. So how how do we relate those four parts of the Great Commission together? Going, making disciples, baptizing, and teaching. Well, we do know that the main emphasis of the Great Commission is on making disciples. Out of all four of those parts, one of those is a command, and that's the making disciples part. 
So that is kind of the way we could summarize the Great Commission. Make disciples. The other part, going, is, is closely related to the making disciples. And so that's still part of the command as well. So in effect, we've got two commands. Go, make disciples. But it's really one task, right? There are just two parts to it. Go, make disciples. Those last two pieces, baptizing and teaching, are kind of the, the way that we're given instructions on how to fulfill that command to make disciples. Those tell us the means. The first part tells us the what. The second part tells us the how. Kind of like if I, if I went to the mechanic and I told him, I want you to give my car a tune-up, change the oil, and uh, replace some of the belts. Well, the command for him is to give my car a tune-up, right? The other things that I mention are more specific ways that I want him to fulfill that first part. Change the oil, replace the belts. So I think that's how we should view the Great Commission. It's a command to go and make disciples. And how do we do that? By baptizing and teaching. Now, the Great Commission is an ongoing task, and I mentioned that. It's Includes more, though, as I mentioned, than simply just proclamation of the gospel, right? Um, for example, if everybody heard the gospel, would that fulfill the Great Commission? Suppose right now we could somehow use technology to broadcast the gospel to every single person in the world in their own language. That would be a pretty amazing thing, wouldn't it? But if we were able to do that, would that fulfill the Great Commission if every single person in the world could hear the gospel right now in their own language? Would that fulfill the Great Commission? Could we sit back and say, all right, the Great Commission is done? And the answer is no, because it's more than just proclaiming. They have to have that first step because we have to proclaim the gospel. But it's an ongoing thing. There's stages and parts to it. And so uh, the Great Commission then is not just a a collection of scattered points of proclamation. What happens if we go into like uh, a town where there's no church at all and we go in and we tell everybody about the gospel and then we leave? Would that fulfill the Great Commission? No, the answer is no. That would be part of it, a very important part, but you have to go on to fulfill the other parts of baptizing and teaching, which is part of that ongoing work of making disciples. The Great Commission, then, is a huge and, and a broad task, and it's too big for any single one of us to accomplish by ourselves. It involves a number of different stages, going, baptizing, teaching, and therefore, it also involves a number of different gifts from a number of different people all working together to make it happen. So, it requires a diversity of believers and the Great Commission requires a diversity of gifts because not all of us have exactly the same level of gifting, right? Or in the same areas. Um, the New Testament talks about evangelism as a gift. We're all supposed to evangelize, right? But some people definitely have a gift for it. They have a, the gift of sitting down next to a person they've never met and having a conversation with them that ends up asking them, so where are you at before the Lord? That is a tremendous gift, and that's part of why we need the whole body engaged in the task of the Great Commission. Um, other part of the Great Commission is uh, teaching and making disciples by just discipling 
new believers. And other people are very gifted at that, being able to come up to a new believer and saying, let's, let's, uh, let's look at the Bible together on a regular basis and let's study it and let's answer some questions that you might have and let's, let's get you on the path to becoming more like Jesus. That's its own special gift as well. And because there are different uh, stages to the Great Commission, different parts to it, we need a body of different people put together in one local church and who are all operating and exercising their gifts in this way. A good illustration of this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was clearly a guy who had the gift of evangelism. He would go into places where the gospel was never preached, nobody had even heard of Jesus, and he starts preaching the gospel to these people, and thousands of people accept the Lord. Um, But then he moves on, and he starts all the process all over again in a new place. And I'm thinking of an example here. I'm thinking of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul is talking to the church, and he's saying, um, you guys should not be viewing... Um, leaders in the church as opposing each other and having their own groups of disciples. We're all in this together. We're all working towards the same goal of advancing the gospel. And then he makes the point, he's like, I'm glad that I didn't baptize really that many of you because I wouldn't want you guys to think that you got baptized in the name of Paul. And his point is that he did very little baptizing in his ministry. Not that he didn't baptize anybody, but his goal was to bring about uh, a group of people converted, establish a church, and then move on. So in Romans uh, chapter 15, remember Paul is talking to the Romans and he's saying, I want you guys to consider being the church that sends me on to Spain. And the reason why he's asking for them to send him on to Spain is because they're closer to Spain than his original church over in Antioch. And then he says something very, very important. As a matter of fact, if you could turn there, Romans 15.23. Keep your finger in Matthew 28. But let's briefly turn to Romans 15.23. Romans 15.23. Paul here, we said, is transitioning to a new ministry. And in verse 23 of Romans 15, he says, But now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have for many years a longing to come see you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in the passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I first enjoyed your company for a little while. So he's saying, I need to go to Spain now because there's no more place for me in this region. What region is he talking about? He's talking about that area of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. All those churches where you read through the book of Acts, where Paul is going into one town after another, that's the area he's talking about. So why is Paul saying, my work in that area is done? Is he saying that the Great Commission was finished in that area? No, he's not saying that, because there obviously is an ongoing process of the Great Commission. But he's saying that my part of the Great Commission the one where I am particularly gifted and in his case called by God, that is the task of evangelism, is largely complete. Now there's these churches there that are an ongoing witness to their community and they can continue on the work. I'm going to a new place though to start that process over again. So you see how we've got different stages in the Great Commission. 
Paul now has gotten to a point in this area where he's been ministering where evangelism isn't the primary um, the primary description of that stage. Now it's make disciples, baptize them, teach them, mature them, and send out more of them. And so he's saying, now I'm going to go to a new region where evangelism is the very first stage, and I'm going to start that all over again. Because in Paul's words, he says, I don't want to build on another person's foundation. I want to go where the gospel is not. I want to go where Christ is not named. Start the process of the Great Commission. Get it going there. And then the question we should be thinking is, well, then how is the Great Commission continued in these places where Paul is leaving? And the answer is the local church. The churches that Paul established are there to carry on that work and to continue on with that. And so the Great Commission then is an ongoing task and one that we can never stop and just say, all right, we've finished it, we're done, because it's ongoing. There are various stages to the task, but the task is only completed when Christ returns. That's why Jesus said, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Well, what marks the end of the age when we no longer are engaged in the Great Commission? It's when Christ returns for his church. And then at that point, the Great Commission is complete. But that's when Christ tells us to, when he takes us. So the Great Commission will be completed at the end of the age. And the local church, in the meantime, will always have the task of making disciples, baptizing, and teaching. Now, the teaching task is what really fills out that ongoing part of the Great Commission. Because you go, you baptize, and you make disciples, but the teaching is the thing that really carries forward it. So let's think of the Great Commission not as uh, a bunch of um, unconnected uh, just points of proclamation, right? Let's think about it as a cycle where you've got going, making disciples by baptizing and teaching, and then going somewhere else, making disciples, baptizing and teaching. It's an ongoing cycle that continues, that never stops. And the teaching task is what really carries forward that ongoing role of the church. What then is the church supposed to teach to the people who have been made disciples? Well, Jesus says it very clearly. He says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So Jesus is saying, with these new converts, these new disciples that you've made, teach them to obey the things that I've commanded you. So this is directed towards obedience to the commands of Christ. There's obviously communicating new information, right? Because a new convert needs to understand what the Bible says. But the teaching is geared towards obedience to Christ. And this, uh, when, when, Paul, or when Christ says this includes uh, everything taught by Christ and his disciples. So teaching them to observe whatever I've commanded you includes what Jesus said in the Gospels, and it also includes the rest of the New Testament, where we've got special representatives of Christ, the apostles, who are continuing to teach the church. That is the thing that new converts are supposed to be taught. And these commands are supposed to be obeyed. So that's why in the New Testament, we often hear about uh, Paul referring to conversion as becoming obedient can you think of places in the New Testament where that's the case? Um, let me read for you uh, Romans 1.5. It 
Paul is talking and he says, Through whom, and he's referring to Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. That's where this teaching part comes in, the obedience of faith, teaching new converts to become obedient to the commands of Christ. In, in Jesus' words, to observe and to keep everything that he has commanded. Jesus mentioned this as well in John 17:6, where he said, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. There, uh, they were yours, and you gave them to me, and, you have kept, and they have kept your word. That's what marks these people as distinct disciples of Christ. They've kept Christ's words. We can also look at Romans 6.17. I'll just read that. Romans 6.17. But thanks be to God that through you, uh, that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. So here we see that ongoing instruction again. Uh, We even remember in Acts chapter 17 where uh, Paul says God commands everyone to repent. So when somebody becomes a believer, becomes a disciple, they are, in a sense, they're submitting, right? They're becoming obedient to the commands of Christ. And the ongoing task of instruction is necessary for all believers. Now, it's going to look a little bit different uh, according to where the person is in their conversion. For a new believer, some of that teaching is going to look like just sitting down and explaining the doctrines of the Bible to them. Who is God? What is sin? And they probably have a, a good awareness of that already if they're safe, but there's ongoing instruction in that, right? Teaching them what does the Bible say about these things. But there's also ongoing instruction for those of us who've been saved for a lot longer, right? Is there any one of us in here can say, you know what, I have I have gone to church now for you know twenty years. I, I, I'm good to go. I know everything. I don't, I don't need any more help. I'm good to go. I, I can just kind of go off on my own. No, there's, there's nobody who will ever get to that point. The ongoing teaching is always necessary. And we see that with Paul. Some of the churches he was teaching were very new believers. I think of Acts 11. Remember there were those, those group of believers up in Antioch. And Barnabas hears about them. And he realizes this is a great group of genuine believers and they need to be taught. So he finds Paul and for a year they taught the disciples there. And that church in Antioch later became Paul's sending church for uh, at least three or four of those missionary journeys that he was on. But then some of the other churches where he's writing letters to in the New Testament, they're mature believers and he is just teaching them to remain obedient to the faith, to continue on in the faith. So the task of teaching is kind of that part of the Great Commission that just continues on. And then from there, we've got mature believers who, having been taught, they go, they make disciples somewhere else, and they start the process all over again. So the Great Commission is really more than just evangelism. It includes includes evangelism, but it also includes the other parts of discipleship making, which include baptism, identifying with the local church, and being taught and submitting to the commands of Christ, and then moving on. So that way, the Great Commission is something that never ends until Christ returns. So the question 
then that I would like to, to raise briefly here is, does a ministry of pastoral training fit into the teaching task of the Great Commission? Is that part of the Great Commission? Uh, going to another country and training the men in that country to be pastors in their own culture. Is that part of the Great Commission? And if so, where, where does it belong in that cycle? Well, I think equipping pastors with theological training does fit into the Great Commission. And I think it comes kind of towards the end of that cycle. Going, making disciples, baptizing, teaching. And this kind of teaching up here at the end of the cycle is geared towards teaching these guys to go out and effectively propagate the mission of the, of the Great Commission in another place. So, we find Paul instructing Timothy when Timothy is a pastor that Paul has mentored, and he tells Timothy when Timothy is pastoring the church in Ephesus, he says, Timothy, find worthy men and go train them and give them what I have told you. So he says, the same things that you've learned from me Commit them to faithful men who will be able to train other people also. So this, this is part of the task. This is, this is at that point, though, where we are ending or where we are completing this part of the cycle and moving on to the next part. We're sending out people who are effective with Scripture, who understand how to interpret it, and they are propagating the mission of the church in another place. Pastoral training is really necessary to equip others to begin the cycle of the Great Commission through baptizing and teaching. Pastoral training helps to establish a theologically strong and mature church planting movement. We're going to be going to Zambia, Africa for a year. And as in all cultures, the, the gospel is at risk with certain things in the culture that would try to go against it, right? In our culture, we've got the threat of materialism, the threat of just pagan thinking where people are not even thinking with a Christian worldview anymore. In Zambia, we've got the threat of animism, which is basically spirit worship. We've got the problem of urbanization where people are no longer living primarily in small villages and, and farming and that sort of thing, but they're moving to the cities, which creates problems, which creates temptation for Zambian believers to be materialistic, kind of the same struggle that we have in our country. These kinds of things are what we need to have a strong foundation in Scripture so that the church planting movement in Zambia doesn't get caught up with things like a gospel that promises people a better life the gospel does correct problems in our life, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make our lives easier. I mean, Paul is a walking case study of that, right? He didn't have a very easy life, constantly getting thrown into prison, beaten, but it did correct problems in his life. It would be a problem, though, if we proclaimed the gospel and used kind of materialism as a bait to say, do you want to, do you want to have a better life? Do you want to have more money in your bank account? Well, here, accept the gospel and it will make your life better. That kind of a gospel can go a long way in a poor country because everybody wants it, right? But is that gospel um, accurate to the scriptures? No. So that's why there's a necessity for pastoral training. We're going to be going to Zambia, Africa for a year. We'll be leaving in July. 
and we will be uh, at Central Africa Baptist College. Um, Central Africa Baptist College was started in 2005 as a ministry to train national pastors in Zambia to serve the Lord in a pastoral capacity in their local church. Um, I will be teaching a couple of classes in the college. We're filling a temporary need at, the, at this point. Um, some of the faculty are all on furlough in the U.S., and so there's kind of a little bit of a gap. So we're coming in to fill that, cover some classes for a year um, with a potential of long term, but at this point we're just uh, focusing on this year. And uh, we would really appreciate your prayers as we embark on that task. I've got a uh, short nine-minute video clip here of the school that I'd like to show you. And let's see if it's, uh, the video is working. Are we good to go? I think I see some thumbs up. <laughs> 